we shouldn't limit people in terms of what they're learning because the act of learning itself, regardless if it's directly applicable to the role that someone's in or not, is something that helps to fuel innovation and creativity and imagination. Hi, I'm David Green, and this is episode three of series 17 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. You just heard Janice Burns, Chief People Officer at Degreed, speaking passionately about the importance of learning. Janice also believes that the impact of learning isn't limited to remaining within the four walls of the organization. The pandemic made it very clear that companies can no longer just be concerned about what's happening inside of the walls of their organization. We all have a responsibility to society to help uplift and um, maintain the health and well-being of people, uh, regardless of where they are. And most importantly, people who are at risk in their careers and economically because they don't have the skills and education to compete in today's marketplace. So uh, really pulling that into our overarching people, culture and organizational agenda is key. Throughout this episode, Janice and I discuss Janice's key strategic roles moving into the Chief People Officer role. We talk about the concept of guided freedom and why learning leaders should think differently about facilitating learning. And we look at the role of coaching and mentoring in professional development. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Janice Burns, Chief People Officer at Degree, to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Welcome to the show, Janice. It's great to have you on. Can you provide listeners with a a brief introduction to you and your role at Degree, please? Yes, I would love to, David. Um, I am Janice Burns, as you said, and I am the Chief People Officer, which means that I am responsible for the human resources function at Degree, but more importantly, I am responsible for facilitating the execution of our business strategy by providing um, our leadership team with people and culture solutions that will help accelerate the execution of that strategy. And you came to Degree, we're going to talk to two elements of this because I think it's quite interesting. You came to Degree pretty much just as the the, the global pandemic started in, in 2020. Yes. But prior to that, you spent 28 years at, at MasterCard, I believe, and, and the last eight as Chief Learning Officer. So quite an interesting sort of link there between running learning for a big global organization like MasterCard and then coming to an organization that's kind of help leading the discussion around the evolution of learning in the marketplace for its technology. Yeah, yeah. So um, you're correct. I spent most of my professional career at MasterCard. I held a variety of positions. I started my career on the business side in marketing and product management and somewhere along the lines moved into HR Um, and have been an HR business partner, head of talent acquisition, a chief diversity officer. And my last role was the chief learning officer at MasterCard. And it was in that role that I was introduced to Degreed and really uh, fell in love with the company, both because of their innovation in the space of learning, um, but also their approach to business and their clients of being true partners not vendors in helping 
MasterCard achieve with their learning objectives, but help me achieve professionally with my goals. So when I got to the point that I wanted to do something different, wanted to align my work a little bit closer with what I saw as my purpose, um, Degreed seemed like the perfect home to come to. And it has felt like I've, I've come home. Brilliant. And, and you, as, as we said, you, you joined Degree just as the global pandemic was starting. Um, right. We had Kat Kennedy from Degree on the show just over a year or around a year or so ago now. And she was talking to us about how Degree had grown quite significantly during, during the initial six, first six, seven months of the crisis. As you said, you're responsible for connecting the, the people and business strategy together and supporting Degree to continue growth, which is fan- fantastic. It, what would be really good to understand is, you know, what are some of your key growth, uh, sorry, key goals moving into the chief uh, people officer role, um, you know, and what you hope to achieve and, and maybe some, some of the challenges that, that you're facing still, you know, as, as any organization is because we're still in this, you know, remote hybrid world. That's a great question. So when I joined Degreed, I joined in an enterprise leadership role, but as an individual contributor. So I joined as the chief career experience officer, and my role was threefold. It was to provide thought leadership in the area of learning strategies, skill, upskilling strategies, and career mobility strategies. And um, it was working with clients and prospects on helping them to reimagine how they thought about those three areas. And then finally, um, my favorite part of my role was being a positive disruptor to the product organization and keeping them focused on the end user. Um, And that was very fulfilling, but... um, When I moved into the chief people officer role, and I think the thing that attracted me to this role when the CEO asked me to to move into this role, I started the role in August, beginning of August, uh, so we're two months in now, it was that I could drive greater business impact, that I would have a seat at the table, not just a seat at the table to talk about people solutions, but a strategic seat at the table to drive the business strategy. And then after uh, helping to formulate the business strategy, thinking about the people and organizational implications and developing solutions from there. So that inspired me. Um, It also inspired me that I could continue to practice what I provide thought leadership in. You know, so many times you get thought leaders who are great academically and philosophically, but they've never done the job or they did the job so long ago. What they're saying may not be as relevant, but to be dealing with the challenges and speaking on possible solutions to a broader audience is... um, really something that that motivates me. So that's the, the answer to the first part of your question. The second part of your question in terms of kind of my goals as a chief people officer, one is the facilitation of, of our strategy and the execution of that strategy. The second is really thinking about how do we create career elasticity for our employees? 
How do we keep them positioned so that they can continue to grow and thrive in their careers, whether they're at Degreed or whether they're someplace else? The third is, and this is not necessarily in the right order, um, really maintaining the health and well-being of our employees. I think that has become much more of a priority for all companies since the pandemic. And health and well-being is not just physical health, health, but it's physical, emotional, mental, and um, social health and well-being and financial health and well-being. And then finally, it is uh, making sure that we are making a social impact. You know, the pandemic made it very clear that companies can no longer just be concerned about what's happening inside of the walls of their organization. We all have a responsibility to society to help uplift and um, maintain the health and well-being of people, uh, regardless of where they are. And most importantly, people who are at risk in their careers and economically because they don't have the skills and education to compete in today's marketplace. So uh, really pulling that into our overarching people, culture, and organizational agenda is key. Great. And and I'm going to come back to that societal impact, I think, later, because uh, I've just written that down as a, as a real point of interest to come back to. Um, obviously, I, I think really interested to get your view on the, on this one. A bit about your view on learning and work. You know, in, in your view, you know, having been a chief learning officer and now obviously being the chief people to a degree, how should responsibility to upskill be split between the employee and the employer? I think that the employer has to create the condition for their employees to be able to learn. And whether that condition is about making sure that they have the time to learn, the tools and resources to learn, and the guidance necessary to learn and upskill, those are the conditions. I think that the employee is responsible for um, their curiosity, their willingness, and putting the time into the learning process. And so it's a partnership between the two. And I had a a philosophy at MasterCard, and it holds true here at Degreed. It's called guided freedom. And what that means is that I believe that an organization um, is obligated to give people the tools and resources to learn the things that they need to learn to perform well in their jobs and to grow in their careers. But and, And they do that by giving them guidance, the proper guidance, but that they also have an obligation to give employees the freedom to learn what they want, when they want, and how they want to learn. And that we shouldn't limit people in terms of what they're learning because the act of learning itself, regardless if it's directly applicable to the role that someone's in or not, is something that helps to fuel innovation and creativity and imagination. And so, you know, this guided freedom principle worked really well for us at MasterCard. I think it's working for us here, but it's something that I would encourage um, learning leaders to, to think about. Our job is not to control learning. 
It is really to facilitate it by providing the right conditions. Yeah, I like. I really like this. It's almost like help help people develop themselves as employees and maybe have careers within the organization, but it's also help them develop as people as well. And if, if for example, learning a language isn't necessarily important to their current role, but that's something they passionately want to do, then provide, you know, provide the means to help them to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess as employers, we also have a responsibility, particularly in larger organizations, to help guide employees to learn, uh, learn things that skills that's going to be really imp- could potentially be really important to their careers within the organization so if you're you know if you're if in an organization there's certain skills that are going to be needed in more plentiful supply in the next the next two to three years and you've got employees that potentially could gain those skills quite easily because they've got adjacent skills by helping provide that information as you said guide them but still let them have the freedom to choose whether to do it Is that that's what that's where you're coming from, yeah? yeah absolutely. I, I think that, you know, I look at careers in two ways. The opportunity to grow within the organization that you are currently employed in, and then the opportunity to continue to grow throughout the lifespan of your career. Um, and so it is important to communicate to your employees the skills that are critical for your business and for the future of your business so that they can be guided towards either um, learning those skills or enhancing those skills. But I also think it's important to let employees understand what are the skills that are trending in the broader marketplace? What are the skills that they need to think about for the future so that they can maintain career elasticity And also to help them to think about how to evaluate their marketability and and managing and um, design a career that is going to keep them marketable. Because let's be honest, most people are not like me and will not stay with an organization for 28 years. Um, And so given that, given that people will have multiple jobs throughout their career, we have an obligation to teach them how to navigate those waters. And um, so that that is what, you know, I am trying to do within the organization of Degreed and what I tried to do at MasterCard. Yeah, because, I mean, as an employee, if you if you know you've got certain skills that is, are, are in demand or certain skills that you could acquire that could be highly in demand or you can enhance, then, as you said, that that's great. For developing their careers within the organization but it's also helpful to them develop their careers full stop as they yeah. you know say as you said that elasticity to to potentially move between different organizations absolutely we can't really have a podcast episode at the moment without talking about the uh the, the events of the last sort of 18 to 20 months or so you know how have the events of the last 18 months both the pandemic and the the, the more focus of the bigger spotlight on diversity and inclusion impacted learning experiences and the workforce's commitment to upskill. There have been so many ways that it's impacted the organization. I think most organizations and Degreed in particular. You know, Degreed was founded on this belief that people should have access to the economic marketplace, not based on the degree that they have, but based on the skills that they possess. 
And so the platform was created to help people grow those skills in whatever way they wanted to. And during the pandemic, and grow those skills in a digital platform. So during the pandemic, when most organizations went to remote status, they had to quickly find a way to deliver learning um, digitally. And that was very beneficial for us from a business perspective, but it also provided us with an opportunity to help upskill clients and prospects on how to create learning experiences in a digital environment and to help talk to their employees about how to think about learning differently and how to take charge of your own learning, not being reliant on an organization to tell you what you needed to learn. Um, It also made us very conscious that there are so many people at risk because they don't have the skills that they'll need for the future. And particularly uh, frontline employees, employees, employees who are in roles that we know are going to be automated. And that's not necessarily our employee base, but many of our clients. And so helping to uh, helping organizations think about how to reskill those um, at-risk employees has been very important. From a diversity and inclusion perspective, it made us think about inclusion much more holistically. So oftentimes when we talk about diversity and inclusion, we talk about the things that we can see that make people different or make people diverse. But in this environment, you begin to realize that geography creates diversity and can make people feel more included or less included. Both geography in terms of where they are in the world, especially if your organization is concentrated in a particular geography, or lack of proximity due to the fact that we're not all physically together anymore. And everyone is dealing with that. Um, It also brought up issues of social justice because along with the pandemic, there were a lot of things, particularly in the U.S., going on around social justice. And employees started demanding that their organization have a voice, um, live the values that they they preach. And we at Degree just became much more focused on our diversity, inclusion, and social responsibility efforts and included our employees in that. And our employees began to teach each other through conversation, through creating narratives, through creating um, their own pathways to educate the organization and other employees on various areas of diversity and inclusion, belonging and impact. And then finally, well-being became such a big issue for us. We have a business resource group that's dedicated to well-being because the lack of social connection created a vacuum for people that caused them to feel 
not only disconnected, but depressed, to feel stressed, and helping people understand that acknowledging those feelings was really important, um, seeking help for it, and knowing that we are all in this together, um, I think has helped us and our employees get through this. We saw in our employee engagement survey that those areas we actually did much better in than we had done in previous years. But like everyone, um, I think we saw a decrease in overall engagement just because people are feeling a little bit less socially connected with one another. Yeah, I think that's the, the one thing is difficult to solve, isn't it, from people working remotely, you know, even if we move to a more hybrid way of working. It does. It's interesting. It seems in in many organisations that that we speak to, I speak to on the podcast and speak to in the in the work we do, the pandemic has almost helped a little. I mean, that's it's a health crisis, and let's not forget that. We wish we hadn't had it, and obviously, yeah. anyone that's been personally affected by it, you know, have our our best wishes. It's helped spark more focus on inclusion on well-being and learning in, in many organizations. And I guess one of our challenges as as human resource resources professionals is to make sure that that focus continues beyond the crisis. Um, right. And I guess that, you know, that that's why I come back to your, uh, your point earlier around, you know, one of your goals as a chief, as chief people officer is to, is to improve or make a, a social, a, a, an impact on society. Um, it, what are some of the things that, that you've been doing at Degree to, to, to help to, to, to do that? And what are some, maybe to extend that, what are some of the things that you're seeing in some of the organizations that you work with at Degree in terms of, of, of making that impact on society? So definitely extending learning opportunities beyond the traditional um, target groups. I'm seeing our clients and us helping our clients find solutions to not only help their at-risk employees and help them find roles, future roles within the company by upskilling them, but acknowledging that all of them will not be able to find a future role inside of their company. And so upskilling them to find future roles outside of their company um, has been a big piece of this. Partnering with um, NGOs and governments, because this issue of what we call the skills revolution is bigger than any company, it's bigger than any industry, and it's going to take a partnership between the private, public, and sectors and the government to really be able to um, address the crisis. And so we are partnering more with NGOs as well to, to look at those types of things. I think what we've also seen is our clients understanding that the social contract between employer and employee has changed. And if you do not think about both the skills of your employee base and how you can differentiate yourself by showing that you are dedicated and will make an investment in their future and in their career mobility. If you can't demonstrate that you really do care about the greater good, 
and are willing to stand up to that and that you will invest in their safety and well-being, you will not be competitive in the marketplace. And I think with now what, you know, everyone's calling the great resignation, um, you're seeing that. You're seeing people decide to exercise their option of where they take their skills. You know, I always talk about um, in the past, the employer was kind of in the, had the advantage because they could choose who they hired and offer whatever job they wanted to. And now the employee has the advantage because they can choose who they want to um, give their skills to and offer their skills to. And if they don't find that they have the right conditions and the right upside for them, and it's not just about money, they will take their feet and move someplace else. And because of this skill crisis, they can demand a much higher price for those skills. So it's an interesting market, um, but I think we are getting to a more balanced uh, relationship between employer and employee. When we come back in just a moment, Janice shares her advice on how to sustainably balance learning and work. Thanks to Degreed for sponsoring this series of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Degreed is a workforce upskilling platform for one in three Fortune 50 companies and connects all your learning, talent development and internal mobility opportunities to intelligence on the skills your business needs next. It does it all in one simple, fluid, skill-building experience that's powered by your people's expertise and interests, so you can transform your workforce from within. Founded in 2012, Degreed is headquartered in Pleasanton, California, with additional offices in Salt Lake City, New York, London, Amsterdam, and Brisbane. To learn more, visit Degreed.com. Welcome back to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast with Janice Burns, Chief People Officer at Degreed. Now, back to the conversation. Yeah, and let's hope so. And, and it's interesting, I mean, the, the great resignation is, you know, you could also reverse that and say it's a great opportunity for those employers that do provide opportunity to employees to, to actually attract, you know, and maybe you use, as you, as you said, develop people as as people as employees not just for your organization but for others then you might attract more talent into your organization as well which you know so it it could act as you said a bit of a differentiator i think between those that attract more talent and those that lose talent so uh could be could be very interesting that's an excellent point so just an aside um I recently posted a job for an executive assistant to support me as I moved into my new role. And, you know, you expect a handful of people to apply. I think within the first week, we had a thousand people apply for this one role. And I was amazed. But I think it goes to that point of people are attracted to organizations that they think represent their values and will provide them with opportunity. And hopefully, you know, I played a little bit of a a part in that, that people uh, who could go on to LinkedIn or whatever could see something about me that they wanted to work for me. But I think it's more about the organization 
the culture and the atmosphere and the reputation that their organization has. So for those organizations that are seen positively in the marketplace, yeah, it's a great opportunity to bring in fantastic talent. And I think that lends nicely to the next question here. As a former chief learning officer and now chief people officer, can you tell us a bit about your own personal approach to, to learning and what advice would you give to any listeners that are struggling to balance work and learning um, together? I talk about this all the time because I think sometimes people get overwhelmed when they think about learning something new. They see it as a big chore where they have to carve out huge amounts of time and then it feels overwhelming because like, where am I going to find all this time, right? And even if you think about learning, you know, spending two hours a week learning at a minimum, if you carve that up into chunks, into 10-minute chunks, it becomes quite achievable. Because if we think about on any given day how much time we waste um, looking at television or engaging in some nonsense conversation or just, you know, wasting time eating foods that maybe we shouldn't be eating. That time could be spent reading an article, looking at a video, doing a quick review. And there are a number of apps where you can review an entire book in 15 minutes. You can find the time to do those things. And so I've done a couple of things. Exercise is really important to me. And I schedule that into my day. While I'm exercising, I am learning something. I'm either listening to a podcast or I'm looking at a video or I'm reading a quick um, article or listening to it on audio book. I, you know, I am skimming um, industry news every single morning to see if there's something new out there that is related to just digital, the digital learning space that's related to upskilling, that's related to my role, um, and sometimes things that have absolutely no connection. And I am either reading it right then or saving it. And luckily, you can save those things in degree and reading it throughout the day to keep me up to date. And I keep a notebook and I'll just write little notes to myself. Um, if it's pre- particularly interesting, I will share it uh, with my team or with another uh, member. And then occasionally I will sign up for an online course, uh, usually an online course where I can manage my time um, and I'm not stuck to a particular time. But that's how I spend my time learning. And I am sure I spend at least four hours a week doing that. But it's not in one big chunk. It is small chunks over the course of the week. Yeah, it sounds similar to me, actually. I I always think that you've got to invest the time to to, to learn and it will help you. Actually helps you. I find that it helps me the same day a lot of the time. Yeah. But if it doesn't help you the same day or the same week, it will certainly help you in the in the months to come. And and as you said, I I do exact sound. We do something very similar. 10, 15 minutes. Okay, I'm not going to go and look at the sport now. Um, when yeah. I'm having my cup of tea in the morning, I'm actually going to focus on on an article or a podcast that I can learn from. 
Um, so yeah, yeah, definitely that carving out that time. But that requires curiosity. And I think yes. that's one of the things that we don't talk about enough. There is yeah. debate of whether or not curiosity is a skill or a trait. I tend to think it's a trait, but it maybe it's a skill. But if you aren't curious, I don't think someone can force you to be curious, you know? You have to have that desire to want to learn more about the world um, and to become more knowledgeable. And if you don't have that natural desire, it is going to be hard for you to learn an upskill because I don't know how anyone can put that inside of you. Um and so that that's one of the things that I think we need to talk about more is curiosity. How do we foster curiosity? Yeah. I think you can foster it. I'm just not sure it's a skill that can actually be developed, but we could have a debate about about that. That sounds like a second podcast to me. <laughs> <laughs> Self-curiosity, shall we say, and, and, and yeah. carving time out for learning, as you said, not necessarily a big chunk, but you know, 10, 15 minutes at, at a time. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you're looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the MyHR Future Academy. It's a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you'll see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gaps, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. Now let's go back to the conversation with Janice, where she'll share her advice for other HR leaders looking to implement a successful coaching and mentoring program. What is the role of coaching and, and mentoring in professional development? Yeah, I think it's extremely important. So um, I think about the Deloitte model when they talk about learning and they talk about learning from the perspective of education. And so that's acquiring new new knowledge, right? Then they talk yeah. about it in terms of experience. And that's about how you apply that knowledge. What types of activities do you get involved in to apply that knowledge? Then they talk about exposure. And that is how do you engage with people who can put that knowledge into context for you? And that's where I think coaching and mentoring uh, play a big role is providing that context is also um, fostering that curiosity by asking questions that causes the person to have to pursue uh, another route to get the answers. It's not about giving them the answers. It's about asking the question that, that inspires them to go get their own answers. Um, and then their final E is the environment. And the environment goes back to the conditions that the organization creates for you. Um, but I think as a leader, both an enterprise leader and a people leader, if you're not constantly coaching and mentoring, 
you're not doing your job, you know, because your job is to help people continuously grow and improve their ability to perform. And you can't do that without you um, pushing them a little bit, stretching them a little bit, asking questions, and then providing them with context. Um, And that's what I think, you know, happens in a good coaching and mentoring relationship. Yeah, I agree with all that. And, you know, and I'd be interested to see, again, I'm not sorry, it's something if, if you're doing a degree either for clients or, or internally, what is it, or you may have even seen at Mastercard, you know, what is the business value of, of an effective coaching and, and mentoring scheme? Yeah, I think the business value is that it accelerates someone's ability to perform. Because yeah. you because you are providing them with context, because you are stretching them further than they would naturally stretch on their own, it actually, um, you know, people learn and perform better with a little bit of stress and, and tension. And that's what that stretching does and that questioning does, which helps them to increase their performance capability, but it accelerates them getting to that next step in, in performance. And it's interesting you, you, you say that. I mean, you talk about being a core responsibility of leaders. You know, I've seen several organizations, Microsoft's one that, that's gone public on it, where they've, they've done uh, what, are the, what are the leader behaviors that drive engagement and performance and one of the ones that they identified was the more one-to-one time managers were having with their direct reports, the the higher the, the higher the engagement of those team members, and the, and the better they performed, you know, from, from performance ratings, which seems to talk quite nicely. So you're not doing your job if you're a leader, and you're not getting the results that you could be getting if you were doing it as well. Um, yeah. So it's quite quite interesting seeing that play out in other organisations as well. So, what advice would you give to to other HR professionals or other chief people officers or, 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 or senior HR leaders on, on listening to this who are looking to establish a successful um, coaching and mentoring program? Yeah, I think going back to the Microsoft example, they have to establish it as a core expectation of their people leaders and their enterprise leaders. And I say people leaders are you know, being responsible for a team of people directly and enterprise leaders being responsible for larger parts of the organization. If that's not a core expectation and a core expectation where people are held accountable for it, held accountable by how they are measured, both by their superiors, by the board, by their employees, then it's not real. So that would be one. The second would be to provide the leaders with tools, resources, experiences to build those coaching and mentoring skills. It does not come natural for everyone. Um, And so you have to be pragmatic about it and um, provide them with those opportunities. And third, 
they have to experience being coached and mentored themselves. No one ever gets too old or too senior to be coached or mentored. And you're more likely to do what is being done to you. And so making sure that it is a reciprocal relationship that they're coaching and mentoring and they're receiving coaching and mentoring, I think helps to make that expectation stick and become real within an organization. And I guess as people function, as well as providing the, the tools, as you, as, you, as you said, you know, if we can also do analysis and provide insights from, from data that shows the, the business value of doing it and the value to employees of doing it in terms of engagement, maybe it's made me less likely to leave, maybe it's performance, maybe it's linked to even all right the through to customer outcomes. Right. then we can really reinforce um, not only is it the right thing to do, but actually makes business sense to do it. Absolutely. Okay, gents, we, we come to the, the to the last question, and I think we could probably carry on talking about this for a while, um, particularly uh, the, the point we had earlier, which is almost a whole new podcast on, on itself. <laughs> um, so, and I know this is something you'll be uh, particularly passionate about. So this is a question that we're asking everyone on this series. How can HR help the business identify the critical skills for the future? Extremely important question. And I think there's actually a pragmatic approach to doing that. And it's something I do spend a lot of time talking about. Um, First of all, going back to that question of curiosity and learning, HR people have to spend the time understanding what's happening in the marketplace by reading um, and talking and networking with others to see what skills are hot skills, what skills are declining skills, and to know how to classify skills. And I classify skills in three big buckets, power skills, functional skills, and hot skills. Power skills are those human um, professional skills that are transferable in any role that you do. And they're power skills because they maintain themselves throughout the course of your career. They power your career. Functional skills are skills that are, are more specific to your functional area of expertise. They're core Uh, knowledge areas that you need for your functional area of expertise. And they can be transferred in the right situations, but they're not transferable to all jobs. And then Mm -hmm. hot skills are those more transactional skills because they're hot for a period of time and then they may decrease in their value, but they have a higher price point, right? And so as an organization and as an individual, you need to understand what that portfolio of skills looks like and how what's the value of those as you, as a hr person you can't ask executives what are the key skills you need for this strategy because they're going to tell you what they know and what they know isn't what you know about what's actually happening what you have to be able to do is to take the strategy dissect it and figure out what are the things, the critical things that must be done in order to execute on that strategy. Because skills are what people do. And so a better conversation to have with an executive is just that. 
tell me and tell me Joe in order for us to increase revenue in the next eight months, what do people, what are the most critical things that people have to do and what will cause us to fail if they can't do it? From there, you can determine what the key skills are. You can validate those skills by looking at market data um, and then confirming that with the executive. And then you focus on how you build and fortify those skills. And you focus on the business outcome, not on learning, traditional learning metrics and HR stuff, because business people do not care about that. They care about business outcomes. And as long as you can agree on the business outcomes and you can develop a solution that's going to get to the business outcome, you you develop a great partnership where you show real value and that business leader continues to come back to you because you're providing them with a service, strategic leadership and insight that they can't get on their own. Brilliant answer. Um, Yeah, I I, I think that's summarize it perfectly and it's a great way to to kind of conclude the discussion janice and i think you know as you said most critical part of that as you you know is is connected to the business outcome isn't it it's that's as you said that's what business leaders care about not the number of learning hours delivered or or or, or stuff but which which we all think is really important because we work in hr but it's not as important as the the outcome we're trying to affect so janice thanks very much for being a guest on the digital hr leaders podcast um, how can listeners stay in touch with you? Uh, maybe follow you on social media and, and, and get an insight into some of the stuff that you're learning, but also find out more about Degreed as well. Sure. Um, thank you for asking that question. They can get in touch with me on LinkedIn. Um, I am active on LinkedIn. I hate to say I'm not really active on other forms of social media. It's just like too noisy for me. Um, and then they can always um, get in touch and find out what's going on with Degreed on LinkedIn, um, on our website, um, on Instagram, on Twitter. We are very active as a company in almost every form of social media. Uh, Janice is just active on, on LinkedIn. Because you're using the other time you'd be on social media to learn. Yeah, exactly. My daughter is trying to help me be a TikTok queen, and then that's not going to happen anytime soon, but I'm working on the skill. <laughs> My daughter is also trying to teach me to be a, a, be on TikTok as well, and she hasn't succeeded yet. So maybe we can compare notes in a few months, Janice. Maybe we can. Maybe our curiosity about it isn't high enough yet. So, so. Possibly not. <laughs> Janice, I've really enjoyed our discussion. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. For more from us at Insight 222, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and our weekly newsletter at myhrfuture.com. Next week on the podcast, we'll be speaking to Tina Kalmylon, Group Chief Talent and Diversity Officer at Schneider Electric. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and take care.